Turn your Bibles to Matthew 16, 13. Title of the message is this morning, Who is this Jesus? Matthew 16, 13. <clears throat> it says, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they, they said, Some say John the Baptist, and some say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say I am? Look at that. Who do you say I am? Let me ask you that question this morning. Who is Jesus to you? Is he your savior? Is he, is he your redeemer? Is he he's your best friend? Or is he a mystical something? Huh? Y'all with me? Y'all live out there? Come on, talk to me. Okay, and he said to them, but who do you say I am? And Simon Peter said, you're Christ. Okay. You got to understand when he said the word Christ, he, he was saying you're the Messiah. You're the one we've been waiting for. You're the one who we've been told since since we were children. That the Messiah was coming, the anointed one, the one that was going to come to redeem Israel, the one that was going to come to to set everything right, to forgive us of our sins, to make everything right. No longer a high priest once a year going in and offering the blood of a of a of a of a, of a lamb upon the altar of the mercy seat to to make atonement for Israel. No longer that. No longer that, that the Messiah was coming. And when the Messiah came and he would walk in, he would redeem Israel. Okay, so Peter says, you know, he said, some say you're. Actually, if you look, John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, are one of the prophets. They're all dead prophets resurrected was what they were saying. Right? Because those all those guys were dead. Hello, John the Baptist being the freshest one because they just cut his head off. But everybody else is dead, been dead for a long time. Right. And so Peter jumps up and says, now, you're him. You're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And so Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. In other words, Jesus is saying, look, you didn't get this because you're smart. Because you're a rabbinical student, because he wasn't, he was a fisherman. You didn't get this because your IQ is so high. You didn't get this because, you know, you ran into Gamal walking down the street and he told you that. Y'all with me? Because he's supposed to be the smartest guy in the day of the religious world, according to Paul. He said, no, you got this revelation by the Spirit, my, my heavenly Father spoke to you. You got this revelation from inside of you. Man, folks, listen to me. When you get a revelation of who Jesus is on the inside of you. The other day I was praying and, and, and it was early in the morning and I was just outside and the stars are out. And, and I was looking at the stars and realizing, you know, I mean, we're really blessed to be able to walk outside and see the stars like we do. And it's in these clear mornings, you know, it looks good. But it's still, you can go out to West Texas and man, there's a whole lot more stars. Stars that we don't even see, right? And you get up in there and they're just clustered. They're just so full, like, you know, hair on a dog's back. I mean, there's, there's stars everywhere, right? And you think that God knows them, how many there are, and he knows all of them by name, right? 
And I was looking at them and I was at that morning and, and, and I just got overwhelmed. I got overwhelmed with how great and how big God is. And, and to think that God knows them all. Hello? He knows them all. He, he, he's the God that just sticks his hand out like this and with the span of his hand measures the heavens. Right? Takes all the water in the world and the, just the hollow of his hand. Measures the sand of the sea. And I was thinking about how big it was. And when I thought about that and I really began to look at it, then it made me feel how small I am. How really insignificant I am. When you start comparing it to that, you start to put those two, which is the world and, you know, billions of stars and things that we don't even know. There's no end to it, folks. Listen, you don't get on a spaceship and fly out into the outer space. And then all of a sudden you get to the stopping point. So, OK, we got to turn around or we're going to hit that wall. It's still evolving. It's still creating. It's still it's still moving. It's still expanding. And I thought to me, my God, he threw that all together in a day. You hear what I'm saying? And it made me feel small and I began to smell small. And then when I felt small, I felt literally humbled to even be able to come into God's presence and to pray to just just humble to be able to say, God, I, to even call you my heavenly father. It's. It, it can't even compare with you looking at ants. Because it's bigger than that. And when I did that, it, it was like it was like I, I was so. I don't know, it's just an experience. You guys, it's by the spirit. It can't be by the flesh because I was touched down deep in my heart of how much God loved us and cared about each and every one of us by thinking of this. And it just took me to a place where the spirit of God touched me, showing me how much God loves me, how much he loves you, how important you are to him, that he's that big. But he knows the number of hairs you got on your head. He counted them. I mean, I guess he's still counting them right now in case you rubbed your head and one fell off. Some of you are like, no, I know I got 26 and they're all still there. I feel them. <laughs> Sorry, I said throw that in there. Just think about that. This God loves you so much that he's counting the hairs on your head. That means he's having to follow it moment by moment. Yet he can count all the, tell you all the stars' names. And so Peter gets this revelation and he said, you tapped into my daddy. That's that's daddy's talking to you. By the spirit. Now, he says, and also I say unto you that Peter upon this rock, I'll build my church. This revelation, this ability to hear from heaven, this ability to have the spirit of God touch you, the ability to connect with the spirit of God. To connect, connect with your heavenly father, who is a, a spirit and connect and it change you. And he says, and I'll build my church on this and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Against you getting a revelation from heaven and it and it can't prevail against it. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now I want you to go to Romans 116. 
Wednesday night, I preached a message which was actually the follow up of last Sunday. So I encourage you to go listen to Wednesday night's message talking about faith, how you're going to activate the promises of God. It's going to be by faith. And if you go listen to Wednesday night's message, it's kind of the in between message between what I'm going, where I'm going right now. But you need to hear that because it's faith that activates the promises of God and gets some work in your life. So this great big God wants to move in your life. This great big God wants to do it, but he's not going to do it necessarily in a natural means. He's going to do it in a supernatural means. He's going to do it in a spiritual means. And you have to learn to be tapped into the things of the spirit. We have to learn to be like Peter and being able to tap in to that voice of the heavenly father, the spirit that will touch us and change us and set us free. Romans 1:16, the apostle Paul says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Listen to me. Let's put this simply. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not the Romans road. The Romans road is the scriptures picked out that people put together and said, hey, this is a way to lead people to Jesus. But that's not the gospel. It's a part of the gospel. Yes, the gospel, it means the good news. The Messiah has come. Jesus is the son of God. He's resurrected from the grave. You believe in him. Your sins will be forgiven. You can go on and live in victory on this earth. That's the good news. However you want to put it together, however you want to say it, whatever scriptures you want to use, right? He says that gospel, that good news, that good news. You got to understand this. When the apostle Paul wrote this and said the gospel of Jesus Christ, he didn't have a New Testament. The Red New Testament was getting written. He, didn't, he wasn't saying, okay, if you follow the Romans road, he didn't know what Romans wrote. He didn't know these letters were going to get put into chapters and verses and all of that like we read it today. He didn't know that at all. He was talking about one person going up to the next person and say, hey, did you hear about Jesus? And telling them the story. That was the good news. You see, folks, listen to me. Sometimes we get so caught up in all the, man, I don't know what you want to call it, all the the theology and all the doctrinal issues of the Bible that we forget what was when this thing was getting written, what was taking place. It was just one person walking up to the next and saying, did you hear about Jesus? No, I didn't hear about Jesus. Yeah, he's he was the son of God. He is the Messiah. We know he's the Messiah because he rose from the grave on the third day. They killed him. We put a big they put a big stone up in front of it. And then he, they, they blew it out of there, man. The Holy Ghost fell and blew it out of there. And, 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 and then and then and then here he comes out and he's alive. He wasn't dead. And he showed up. Everybody saw him. We ate fish with him. Walked through a wall. And that other person's like, really? Yeah. And he can come into your heart if you just believe in him that he's the Messiah. Because Jesus said, any man that comes to me, I'm not going to turn him away. So anybody can come to him and I can say, so that person just said, really, what do I got to do? Well, let's just pray. Father, I just want to And they prayed a sinner's prayer, whatever the sinner's prayer might have been. Come on. I mean, just look at it. Go read the scriptures, man. Go look at what's happening in the book of, of, of Acts and going through all there. And the, 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 the people getting saved, what they did, and then they said, I believe in Jesus. The house of Cornelius with the spirit of God just followed them. They all start speaking in tongues. And then everybody looked around and said, wait, 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 We didn't do this in order. We should have had an altar call first. The message had to get preached. There had to have been an altar call. And then you had to come forward. And then you had to get, you know, uh, the, 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 through the sinner's prayer. And then you could get back. And what are you doing? You can't be speaking in tongues yet. I hadn't done this other stuff. That's why I was messing them all up. Peter's like, whoa, that's everywhere I'm supposed to go. But that's the simple gospel. 
Are you all with me? Let's not get so technical. Let's not get so. So it's do you believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Do you believe that he is the son of God? Do you believe that he arose from the dead? Do you believe that his blood upon the atoning blood on the cross is what forgives you of your sins? And at the moment you truly believe, because he said here, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who. Who does what? Who believes. Everyone who believes. You see, folks, our problem is not that 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 we don't have enough faith. The problem is that we have too much doubt. And we're walking along and we're being all we're being all theological and all, you know, try to get our that that wasn't hermeneutically correct what he did. Do you know that I had been to foreign countries and seen thousands and thousands of people get saved, baptized in the spirit? I saw people miraculously heal. Then I went to Bible school and I had to look up these words. What do you mean? What is hermeneutics? I don't understand. Why would we have a word like that? What does that mean? What is what is this stuff? Understand? I'd already seen the power of the gospel working. Yeah. Kind of hard to tell me how something's going to work when I've already been out in the field seeing it work. So the Apostle Paul says, man, to everyone that believes. But if you're not a believer, you're not going to see power working in your life. Now, here's the scripture. I want you to go to Isaiah 29, 13. Isaiah 29, 13. Now, this is funny <clears throat> because I, I've told you all how I read my Bible and I write down the chapter that I read. And then I the next morning I ask it up. I had an, add another number to the chapter. And so I just keep it on a little. I just get a piece of paper and try fold it. And then I just start writing and I know where I'm at. And I keep that's how I keep my record. Pretty simple. It's not complicated. Looks like this really professional. OK, and so. I'm reading the other morning and I, you know, I write them down. I mean, it's just the same. It's if I read 20, then it's 21. Right. And so I'm just looking over there, but I glance over there at it. And I guess maybe the coffee hadn't kicked in or something. And I looked at it, but I was not looking at the chapter I was supposed to be reading in Isaiah. I was looking at the chapter I just read in Proverbs. I just read it. Proverbs 29. But I didn't have the wherewithal. <laughs> clicking off that morning. And so I looked and I saw 29. So I just turned to Isaiah 29 and started reading it. That's where I thought I was because I knew I was in the 20s in Isaiah, but I was supposed to be reading Isaiah 21. That would have been my daily, you know, next chapter. But I'm reading 29 because I'm looking at my notes. It said Proverbs 29. And so I'm reading along there and all of a sudden I'm like, whoa, man, look at this. And so, man, I'm shouting and preaching, telling my wife, come here, man, you got to see this. And I'm, I'm going through this thing. And so I thought, man, God, that is so amazing. It's so amazing how you put this together and how I just read the chapters. And there it is. Wow, this is amazing. And then I felt the Holy Spirit say, you don't even understand. And then I looked at my notes. And I was like, <laughs> I, I read the wrong chapter and got the message. I was like, God, that is even a bigger miracle than just reading the right one. So here's what I read. Twenty nine, thirteen, Isaiah twenty nine, thirteen. Therefore, the Lord said, "Inasmuch as these people draw near me or yeah, draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me and their fear. Listen, look at their fear towards me is taught by the commandments of men. And this thing just slipped off in me. 
And I began to just grieve and cry out for Christians all over the place who are Christians, but they're not living according to the spirit. They're living according to what they've been taught by the commandments of men. In other words, they're living out of their head, not out of their heart. They're trying to work and, and they're on that treadmill trying to do everything perfect and make sure everything's right. and They do all this kind of stuff. But the truth of the matter is they were living out of their head because they've been taught the commandments of men. So therefore, they have a fear of God. In other words, they heard some preacher say, you're going to go to hell if you do that. And they're like, I don't want to go to hell. It wasn't in their heart to just walk in the fear of the Lord. It wasn't a connection like like I was talking about. I looked up into the stars and I just saw how big God was and it made me just humble before him. That was by the spirit. It wasn't somebody telling me, don't do that, because if you do that, you're going to go to hell. God's not going to be pleased with you if you do that. No, you weren't walking in the fear of the Lord because you were taught to walk in the fear of the Lord. You're walking in the fear of the Lord because inside of you, something is saying, I should be honoring God with my life. I should be honoring God with my body. I should be honoring God with my speech. I should be walking and honoring God because this is what pleases God. So what do we got going on nowadays? We got the church teaching people what really God's fear is. Oh, God loves everybody. God's going to take care of everything. Oh, it's all all right. You can do whatever you want to because God loves you. Everybody's going to go to heaven. Everybody's going to be, you know, he's going to make it. Everybody, no, God, it's all, this is what love is. We actually have the governor of California putting up billboards in Texas using scripture to promote abortion in California. And I'm like, What? Uh, I, I, like, how, how are you, how have you twisted the scriptures? You see, but they're trying to use them. So somebody doesn't really know what the word says. They said, well, that's in the Bible, I guess. Because they don't know the Bible because they didn't read the Bible. My point is that we cannot serve God out of our heads. You serve God out of your heart. And the fear of the Lord's in you because you know God. Not because you're taught. Now, we got to have Sunday school. We teach people and we do that. Yes, but I'm talking about you're not living because, well, I really, I really want to do that. And I really don't think it's wrong, but I mean, I'll do it if you say. What? Go to John 17, 3. Gospel of John 17, 3. John 17, 3 says, and this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. It says, if you look at the Greek of what the Greek means when it says know you, like know you is not like you, you met him once. Know you is not like, like, <clears throat> you know, like I, I, I've told this story before, but I mean, it happens to me once in a while when I'm in a store or I'm somewhere else outside of the outside of Utopia and people don't know my face. And before we had uh, video, when it was only audio, people would recognize me by my voice and I would be standing there putting in a lumber order or something. They'd look at me and say, well, hello, Pastor Richards. And I'd look at them and I'd, I'd, I was like, hi, how are you? And 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 then the whole time I'm thinking, who are you? I don't know you. I've never seen you in church. And then they would talk to me about the sermons and talk to me about, you know, things I had said. And how's your puppy doing? No. 
something of that nature. You know what I mean? And I was just like, I, I, I was too embarrassed to just say, do I know who you are? But they knew me because they had heard me, but I didn't know them because you never really met. I'm not talking about that's not what this means in this kind of relationship when he says know you. The word know you in there is also used as a Jewish idiom for intimacy with a woman. That means knows you really well. Hello? So it says this is eternal life. Eternal life is that they may know you. I mean, as much as you could know a person. The only true God in Jesus Christ, whom sent. That's when life starts coming in you. When you know him in an intimate way, you know him not just, oh, I know him because we go to church and oh, he's on the cross. Or, yes, it's a holy Bible. No, you know him because you know Jesus. You really know him because you spend time with him. Because you have an intimate relationship and you have the Peter relationship that the father's speaking to you and something's coming down on the inside of you. Y'all following me here. When that happens to you, then the power of the gospel begins to work in your life. Because you're a believer, because you know it's real, not because somebody told you it's real. There's a big difference, folks. Listen to me. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're listening because the Bible says this is the way that it works, that faith comes through hearing and hearing the word of God. So I know that as I'm preaching, it's going out and y'all are listening to it. Your faith is being built. But listen to me. It's something completely different when you know it. When you know that Jesus is real, you're not just listening to the preacher and saying, well, the preacher said he'd do this. But you know it. That's why churches get so in disarray when the pastor falls or, or leaves or whatever because they're, they're built all their faith around the preacher. But we got to have our own faith strong so that the power of the gospel can be moving in our life. Now, listen, look, I'm going to give you a story here. Go to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, the woman at the well. I want to use what happened with her. I told my wife this morning, I said, get ready. You may have to come up and play at the end because I think I'm going to be short. Man, I'm going to have to hurry to even get through. John 4, 7. Praise God. It's the story of the woman at the well. Jesus going to the well in Samaria and he runs across this woman. It says, the woman of Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, and give me a drink. For the disciples have gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you being a Jew asked me a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealing with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, look at this. Look, I love how when Jesus, when somebody's asking her a question, a simple question that Jesus just doesn't give a simple answer. He could have just said, shut up, woman, get me a drink. I'm thirsty. Right. And Jesus says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is, who says unto you, give me a drink. You would have asked him and he would be giving you living water. <laughs> so that is not what the lady was expecting to hear back. She's talking about Jews don't have anything to do with Samaritans and I'm a woman and a man's not speaking to a woman and you're breaking all these customs and traditions and all this stuff. And so, you don't, you know, why are you doing this? And Jesus says, if you would know who it is who speaks unto you, you would ask of me and I'd give you living water. So the woman's like, excuse me? What? What? What are you, what are you talking about? So he goes on and he says, 
Verse 11. And the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with. Okay, she's thinking totally in the natural. He says, what are you talking about living water? Maybe you're just using some strange phrases and you're calling this living water. You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then would you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and, and drank from it as well as his son and his livestock? And Jesus answered and said, whoever drinks this water is going to thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst again. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. So, so now the woman is like, okay. Verse 15. The woman says, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst. So she's only thinking in a natural sense. She's like, you got water that I can drink once. And then I'm never going to be thirsty again. I'll take it. But, you know, there's a lot of people serving Jesus in this world or say they know him only because they don't want to go to hell and they want fire insurance. OK, they just want a fire insurance policy. They really want to live their life like they want to live their life and do what they want to. They don't really want to, to, to know him. They just want to go and do what they want to go do. But if they were killed in a car wreck, they want to make sure that they're going to go to heaven. So they want fire insurance. All right. Just turn and look at the person beside you and just kind of smile at them. Just give them a little howdy, you know. See, we don't like to talk like that, but I'm just slapping you with a wet rag this morning because I want you to really understand what is your relationship with Jesus? Who is this Jesus to you? Is this Jesus that you have here? Is he only your fire insurance? Or you only got, got him because your, your, your grandmother and your mother serve the Lord and so that you have a taught fear of the Lord in you and so you don't really have a relationship with God. You just have a taught relationship and you just know that good people live like this and that's the way you want to do it, but you only got it because you just want water that you don't have to go get. It's always amazed me, and I always know how, how good a person's relationship is with the Lord, is when something goes bad, so many times people turn and they instantly blame God for doing it. And I'm just like, you don't know God. I mean, they could get in their car, get drunk, drive 180 miles an hour down the road, the curviest road in Texas, have a wreck, and then get out and blame it on God that he didn't protect them. And I'm like... He probably had legions of angels trying to keep you from f flying over the side the whole time. Fool, you were just fighting against the, the things of God, right? But what happens to us is when things like that happen is that we don't really know God. We don't know and have that, that, that relationship with him. So we're like the woman. We, we say, well, I guess I better get some fire insurance. Give me, give me this water that doesn't ever run dry. Give me this water that's going to satisfy me because, you know, I mean, that's what good people do. So her relationship with at this point is only surface. So Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said, that's the first smart thing you said all day. That was my paraphrase. You've well said you have no husbands, for you have had five husbands and the one whom you now have is not your husband. So that's six, right? If I'm reading that right, she says you've had five husbands and the one you have now. So I don't know if the one you have now is concluded in the five, but it sounds to me like it's six. Yeah. I mean, it's not really a doctrinal issue, but I just. 
For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is, is not your husband, and that you have spoke truly. And the woman said to her, <gasps> you read my mail. I perceive that you're a prophet. Now, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that the Jerusalem is a place where one ought to worship. Now, what, 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 how's the conversation getting turned into worship? See, but Jesus spooked her because he read her mail. So she went, oh, who is this guy? He do. Right? I was laughing the other day. I told someone, I said, yeah, I don't need to work, operate in a word of knowledge. I said, I just got to go to a coffee shop down here and find out everything going on in town. But apparently Jesus hadn't been to the coffee shop, so she didn't worry about that. So Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will enter into this mountain. Will you? Let me back up. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. You worship what you do not know. My goodness. How many Christians are in church today worshiping what they do not know? Singing the songs. Hymn number 263. Or it could be any song. I'm not picking on people to sing out of hymns. I'm just saying. And people are singing that song, but they don't know him. They like the words. They like the beat. They like the lyrics. You worship what you do not know, and we know what we worship for salvations of the Jews, but the hour is coming, and now is. Everybody say, now is. When the true worshiper will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So Jesus said, now is. So that meant now is. That meant the day that he spoke to the woman, and he knew what was coming, and the resurrection took place. He said, now is. That means this happened that 2,000 years ago plus 2,000 years ago, it turned into the now. That no longer is it taught worship. But it's worship from the heart because God's a spirit and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So you can't look for the natural. You've got to look for the supernatural. I don't care how pretty the building is. I don't care how much stained glass they got. I don't care if it's the prettiest place you've ever sat in life. I don't care if when the usher comes to take up the offering, he passes out coffee and peanuts. I don't care if you go to a church that has the back of the chair in front of you has a fold down table to put your stuff on. It's not talking here about what you're taught and what you feel. It's something that's by the supernatural, by the spirit. You say, well, pastor, that's just too hard. If I had to go find something in the spirit, I don't know if I find anything in the spirit. I don't know what's going on. I don't know how to do that. Let me show you. Let me keep reading here. Look at verse 25. Now, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who's called Christ. Now, when he comes, he will tell us all. And Jesus said to him, I who speak to you am he. Now, you, you notice there's several times that Jesus outright told the people he was the Messiah. Okay. Yet when he went to the, to the rulers, the Jewish rulers, when they were going to take him and, and crucify him, they said, tell us if you're him. And he said, I am. And they said, kill him, he blasphemes. And I'm like, 
you're pretty stupid because he just said he was the son of God. He said multiple times he's the son of God. He's raised the dead. He's done all these miracles. He's done all these things. All right. He's done all these things. Yet you're going to take a chance that he may be wrong. Now follow me. He plainly told you that he was and you just turned it. You see, it's one thing to know Jesus. You see, you're not going to convince me. Listen to me. I've told you all this. I don't mind admitting it. The board knows this. Everybody knows this. Look, I don't do this job because I want to be a preacher. I do this job because Jesus asked me to. I would be this message I'm preaching to you. I got it. And I apply it to my life. I got it. It's for me. And I'm just sharing it with you. I'm going to live for Jesus no matter what. You're not going to convince me Jesus isn't real. There's too many things he's blessed me and there's too many things he's touched me in my life. I know him too intimately to know that, that Jesus is real. You're not going to go out there. I don't care what happens. I don't care if an alien spaceship runs out of there, lands right out in that field. And a bunch of, I don't care if they're green, purple, whatever men run out of there and say, you know, we're the ones we wrote the Bible. And I say, I don't believe you. Is your name Jesus? You follow me, church. I, you can't. There's not anything going to ever convince me that Jesus is not real because I've experienced him too many times by the spirit, by what's inside of me. I'm, 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 I'm lost. I, I, I can't go back. I got nowhere to go back to. I know this world can't satisfy me. I know there's not enough whatever in this world to satisfy the one touch that Jesus can give you. So I'm asking you this morning, do you know him like that? Is that, he, is that who the Savior is to you? And at this point, the disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking to a woman. Yet no one said, who do you seek? Or, or while they were talking to her and the woman left her water pot, looking here, left her water pot, went her way to the city and said to the men, come and see a man who told me all things I ever did. Did where, what? What? Told me all things I ever did. I didn't see him say anything, but you got six husbands. Five and the one you're with right now isn't your husband. Y'all with me? But she ran to town, left her water pot. Now, that water pot was important. Without that water pot, how's she going to draw water? She dropped everything and ran to the town and started telling everybody, come and see a man who told me all I ever did. So, I mean, I'm just looking at this in a natural sense. So she... I mean, maybe they had more conversation. I don't know. I don't want to put the woman down, but I think she was exaggerating. But we get kind of like that when we get excited about Jesus. Hello? We get kind of like that when we get excited about Jesus. And so then what happens? Verse 39. So many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. And he told me all I ever did. And when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed for two more days and many more believed. Okay, so there's a certain bunch of the Samaritans said, really? And they run down there to Jesus, right? Because of what the woman testified. Then he stayed two more days preaching. And then the other group believed because they listened to Jesus preach. Hello? Okay. So this woman found living water. But it wasn't anything she was expecting. It didn't happen like she thought it would because it came by the spirit, not by the flesh. Are y'all following me? Okay. So I want to give you what it looks like. Go to Psalms 42.1. Psalms 42.1. This is real simple. How do you, how do you get connected? 
How do you get connected and touch the spirit? How do you get connected and touch the spirit of God so that you can be like Peter and like this woman and have a revelation from heaven? Psalms 42, one tells us as a deer pants for the waters brook. So pants my soul for you. What's your soul panting after today? What's your soul panting for today? Chocolate ice cream. One more high. One more excitement. Relief. What's your soul panting for? Justification. I just want all those that have wronged me to be brought before me in chains. Not asking much, Lord. What's your soul panting for? It's a simple question. You just got to ask yourself it. What is your soul panting for? And if it's not panting for a relationship with Jesus, you're panting for the wrong thing. Oh, God, my soul thirst for God, for the living God. Is your soul thirsting for the living God? When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they continually say to me, where is your God? Go to Psalms 84, verse 10. 8410. <clears throat> For a day in your courts better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Your soul's panting for Jesus and you don't care what position you get. I don't know how many times I've said to the Lord, look, Lord, I don't know how heaven works. I don't know all the intricate things about heaven. I'm just happy to know I'm getting in. That I don't have to try to pry the door open. I have to try to slide under. I don't care if the door is starting to shut and I'm the last one that steps in. Don't make me no difference. I'm in. I don't care. Give me a cardboard box underneath the bridge somewhere, Lord. It's heaven. Right? So ask yourself today, what's your soul panting for? And then ask yourself the question, what are you looking for in this relationship? Just to be in? Are you looking for Jesus to promote you, make you something? And here's the last scripture. Y'all come on up. Get the, the, I don't really care what time it is. This is too good. I'm excited. I'm happy. John 3, Gospel of John, chapter 3. One we're so familiar with. Jesus answered and said to them, I'm reading 3, 3. Jesus answered and said, most surely I say to you, unless one is born, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said, how can a man be born when he's old? How can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus said, you're such an idiot. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit, spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but it cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who's born of the spirit. Jesus is talking about the born again experience. Listen to me. If you've asked Jesus Christ to come into your life and be your Lord and Savior, if you did what I was talking about the first of the service and you said, Jesus, I want to be saved, you already have the spirit in you. The spirit of God's come in you. You're just not connecting because you're getting, it's getting jar, all jarbled up from your spirit 
to heaven because you had to pass through this head and it got all messed up. Because you've been taught the commandments of God. You're not living the commandments of God because it's what's down here on the inside of you because the Holy Spirit's down here touched by, you've been touched by God already. It's not something else you got to do. You just got to get your soul panting for the right thing. When you wake up in the morning, you're not headed to Fox News to see what's going on. You're headed to the Bible to see what's going on. Your soul's got to pant for God. You got to quit worrying about positions and things and all this. You got to quit worrying about all that. You say, man, Lord, I just want in. I'll be a doorkeeper. Don't make me no difference. I'll just be a doorkeeper. I just, I'm just glad I'm in the army of God. I'm just glad I'm in heaven. Hello? So I didn't tell my wife I was preaching this message. I didn't tell her anything this morning. And then, then I, I wanted this song. Let me tell you about my Jesus. And I was going to put it on my, my, my tracks on my phone. And uh, she, I said, well, who sings that song? She's always oh, singing it somewhere. I said, you got to be kidding me. I said, I'm preaching about, tell me about my Jesus. I love the way the spirit sets things up. See, those things like that, you can't tell me that that's not God set it all up, right? So I told him, I said, come back up. We're going to sing that song again here at the end of church. So I want you to put your Bibles up right now. Because there's nothing better than going out singing. And I want to tell you something. Hear me now. Listen, all the listening audience out there. Listen to me, folks. Listen to me. These days and these times going on now, you got to get out of your head. You got to quit following Jesus because it's something that you've been taught on the inside. And I'm not talking about the things that you've learned about Jesus. I'm talking about you don't do it because you've been taught. You do it because it's inside of you. Are you hearing me now? It's inside of you. And then you're out there in the street saying, let me tell you about my Jesus. Because he's personal. Oh, we go to Living Waters Church. The pastor up there, we like the pastor. He's very good. Understands doctrinal things and hermeneutically correct. No, you're out on the street saying, hey, you're like the woman. Let me tell you about my Jesus. Let me tell you all the things he's done for me. That's how people fill up a church. That's how people get saved. So stand up if you would. We're going to sing this song again. Are you past the point of weary? Is your burden weighing heavy? Is it all too much to carry? Let me tell you about my Jesus. Do you feel that empty feeling? Because shame's done all it's stealing. You're desperate for some healing. Let me tell you about my Jesus.
Everybody out there watching, everybody listening, everybody in here, Lord God, that Nehemiah 2 and 8, the good hand of God is upon them, and they are blessed, and that this day, Lord God, are stirred in their spirits to know you. And Lord, I pray that we'll have people saved this week, because everyone's going to testify and declare about how great this Jesus is that we know. We're going to be like the woman at the well, just running and telling everybody, let me tell you all the things he's done for me. So, Lord, bless them. Bless them in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. God bless you, church. We're going to sing it one more time, but you're dismissed. my prayer team come down up here if you're here today and you need prayer we're up here for you anything you need god will do it god bless the church